You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, presenting interviews with famous, fascinating, influential personalities from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. With poetry, the poem dictates everything. They're like people. Some people are very tall and skinny. Some people are short and, and plump. You know, poems are like that. They can be long or short, but they totally dictate how they will be, and nothing is wasted. Best-selling author Alice Walker. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. She may be best known to most people for her novel The Color Purple which won the 1982 Pulitzer Prize for Fiction and which later became a hugely popular movie. But Alice Walker has written dozens of other books, fiction and nonfiction, and collections of poetry. I've met and interviewed Alice Walker several times over the years, including in 2003 when she published a book of poetry, Absolute Trust in the Goodness of the Earth. Now, our conversation that you're about to hear took place literally just hours before the U.S. and other nations initiated what would become the Iraq War in the spring of 2003. And this was weighing very heavily on Alice Walker's mind that day. So here now from 2003, Alice Walker. I, I have to tell you how, how glad I am to even be sitting here with you because apparently, as you write in the introduction, this there was not to have been another book, I gather. I had reached a place where I thought I wouldn't write anymore. I had been writing writing for more than 30 years. It seemed a good time to take a break and to consider the coming 30 years. What would I like to do with those? Uh, and so I tried to do that, but I realized because uh, fate set me down in a chair and said, you know, you don't get to choose. If you have um, this connection to the source of, you know, creativity, you don't get to break it. Uh, it may decide to go away, but you can't make that decision for it. So I said, okay. And then I was in Mexico uh, on a retreat, and I started writing most of these poems in this book. Many of them inspired after the events of 9-11? Yes, I was in a, a, a very uh, reflective uh, mood, and... Um, very, very deeply concerned that the response to the tragedy was to immediately uh, want to avenge uh, the tragedy and uh, and to have war, which I, I was very much opposed to and remain opposed to. Uh, so I think in that crucible of feeling, uh, the poetry started to come. And, and it's, it's so so like poetry to do that when, when things are really you're really up against the wall and you really feel the desperation of the human condition, poetry comes, prayer comes, and, and singing comes. So for me as a poet, uh, I had written five volumes before, uh, the, the poetry uh, came. Is poetry a truer expression of your, of your intuition and your inner consciousness than a short story or an essay or a novel? It's much more personal and it's much more universal. It, it, it is something that it is that point at which we are connected to everything. And it's a very intense point and it is a very true point. And it's also something that cannot be corralled or forced uh, or predicted. It, it has its own will. And so in that sense, is is much more alive than um, fiction 
or uh, the essay. And I like both of those forms, but but poetry is truly a gift, and sometimes it's a gift that is almost, um, you know, the clarity of the vision is sometimes so intense that it's hard to to carry it. Indeed, some of these poems, it seemed as though they were ready to burst out of you. Yes, yes. Well, well, they came with a lot of caring for the world and a lot of concern for all of our children and a lot of thoughtfulness about all of our ancestors, about, you know, what is happening to us as human beings and, you know, what will have, have to happen for us to evolve beyond, um, you know, just a, a sort of uh, easy... Uh, um, decision to, to, to cause violence and war. And here we are as we sit in this studio, probably less than 24 hours from the start of another war. It's very frightening, and it, it says um, some very sad things about humanity. I mean, I think that it is true that war is a defeat for human beings because we do know better. You know, it's not as if we don't know what war is. I mean, I think that Americans have been somewhat uh, isolated from some of the, the, the war trauma in the world, uh, and they feel a distance from our own war history. Uh, but it is, it is terrible. War, war is, as has been said, you know, hell. Um, and I think that, you know, people keep bandying around these expressions about, you know, who is evil? Well, it, you know, it's not so much a matter, in my opinion, of who is evil, but the point is that war itself is and that is what we need to stop, and that is what we need to change, and in fact, is what we need to outgrow as a species. Now, was it was it anger, or was it was it despair, or was it something along a different line that led you to write the, the particular poem that you have in here, the, the "Dead Men Love War"? Uh, it was the the thought that in order to perpetuate uh, uh, a certain kind of of you know atrocity against people which war is, and if you, you know, you bomb people for 10 years, which, you know, we've done in Iraq, it, it means that there is something dead in us, that there's something that is not alive to the suffering of the people and of the children and, you know, of, of everything. So I wrote this poem called Dead Men Love War. Dead men love war. They sit astride the icy bones of their slaughtered horses, grinning. They wind their pacemakers especially tight, and like Napoleon, favor green velvet dressing gowns on the battlefield. They sit in boardrooms, dreaming of a prophet that outlives death. Dead men love war. They like to anticipate receptions and balls to which they will bring their loathsome daughters, desolation and decay. They like to fantasize about the rare vintage of blood to be served and how much company they are going to have. After this short break, Alice Walker shares a poem that speaks volumes to young girls. Now back to my 2003 conversation with Alice Walker. When did we start putting profit ahead of everything else? Well, I think it's when capitalism just, you know, got out of hand. <laughs> and when This people, makes you angry, doesn't it? Uh, well, you know, I actually am kind of beyond anger. Um, 
I, I'm in the, the place of, well, I think what happens when you get older, you know, you, you come to the place of the elder, and uh, it becomes more important to understand than to be angry. And uh, I think that that is what is called for now. It's, it's for understanding of our, quote, enemies, and it's for understanding of our, quote, friends, and it's an understanding of the fear that just average, regular human beings feel uh, in this situation where so many of us feel fairly powerless. You know, there are millions of people around the world who don't want war and who are, who are standing up, you know, bless their hearts, you know, bless our hearts. I was arrested last weekend myself with some women in front of the White House, and it was just the most wonderful uh, thing to do, the most, most, I mean, I felt very happy. And yet today, when I see that, um, you know, this country may bomb Iraq anyway, and that, that in a sense it doesn't matter what the world is saying, there is a feeling that someone has to have a deeper understanding of what's at stake. I mean, this could be the unraveling of life on the planet as we have known it. I mean, we have seen the erosion of, uh, you know, of, of, the, of life here. But, but this is the most dangerous place we've ever been in as a species on the planet. Mm. And did you, am I correct, did you refer to yourself as an apprentice elder? Yes, <laughs> I did. Well, I referred to myself as an apprentice elder, elder because, you know, I'm, I'm not, you know, I think when you say elder, sometimes I think of someone who has a, a lot more age and a lot more wisdom. But uh, I think that I, I honor uh, that place of wisdom and, and of age so much that I'm happy to consider myself an apprentice to it and to try to learn from those people who have gone on and who are still with us but who, who care enough to try to shed some light on the path that we're traveling. And one thing that you said here was that, uh, that, that as an elder you, you want to pour everything else, everything out you know to the young people. And mm -hmm. I, I have to confess, I had a similar feeling recently when I found out I'm about to be a grandfather for the first time. <laughs> and then you, you suddenly realize, oh my gosh, I've accumulated all this, for what it's worth, in my case, wisdom. <laughs> I want to pass this along to somebody. Well, I certainly hope you do, because it will mean so much to that child. But I wonder if there are certain experiences that everyone has to go through themselves, despite what the elders may or may not tell them. Oh, it doesn't mean they won't go through it. <laughs> no, that has never meant that. It just means that they will have the added uh, knowledge and, and sometimes wisdom, uh, so that as they are making choices, uh, they can just think, well, you know, maybe this is not quite the right thing because I have learned from, you know, grandfather something. I mean, you know, the people will always make their own mistakes. <laughs> it's just that we don't have to let them make every single mistake without any counsel. It's suicidal. That's true. Now we all we already know it's going to be a granddaughter, so I have plenty oh, of Oh, great. <laughs> yes. And she will need you. That's yeah. She will need you. That's true. Mm -hmm. And especially as and I'm doing this is a very rough transition I'm trying to do here as she grows up and she worries about body image and she exactly. worries about things like this and this this calls to mind when your poem and let me get the title of it right here. You two can look, smell, dress, act this way, which I I just I thought was a great poem. Oh, thank you so much. I like it myself. Whenever I notice advertising, how they can tuck away your nipples and suck off your hips, 
and make you smell like nobody who's ever lived. I like to think of Jane Goodall. Plain Jane Goodall. I like to imagine her hunkered down, motionless, quiet, observant of the chimpanzees, the wild chimpanzees in the bush. Her gray hair tugged off her honest face with a rubber band, I'd bet, while she studies the body-proud cousins, looking for clues about why we are so dissatisfied. Sometimes a person's name just suits them. Jane. Nothing you can do with Jane except say it. Good all. Advertising never seems to reach Jane. Her hips always appear to be just where they always were. Her breasts never strain to declare themselves. Each time she emerges blinking out of the mists, she's wearing the exact same white blouse and indifferent blue skirt. She never seems to have heard of a makeup that wasn't character. If I could sniff Jane Goodall, as her friends the chimpanzees do, I know she would smell just like her name, like no advertiser's perfume ever touched her, no surgeon's shears ever trimmed such ample integrity. She would smell like earth, air, water, ancient forest, and like no man was ever there. That is great. That is great. <laughs> so much. I mean, the, 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 the range of, of mood, of topic, of, of just all kinds of things in this book is astounding. I mean, this, is, this is not just a political treatise. <laughs> this is, this is, there's lightheartedness. There's fun. Mm-hmm. There's, there's some adult humor in here. <laughs> this is the, mm. what, a, what a broad range you've given us in this book. What a gift you've Thank given us. Thank you. Now, does the brevity of a poem imply that it was quick to write as well? Or, 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 or what is the ratio of, of hours spent to finished product? Well, with poetry, the poem dictates everything. Sometimes, they're like people. Some people are very tall and skinny. Some people are short and, and plump. You know, poems are like that. They can be long or short, but they totally dictate how they will be. And nothing is wasted. Uh, and that's why I love them. And, and uh, I wrote these mostly every morning uh, and, you know, over the course of a month. Does your environment influence how and what you write? Uh, I think so, because this book, most of it was written in Mexico. I have a house on the Central Coast. And uh, every morning I would, would write, uh, but I, I had to move out of a room that was very bright and sunny and looking out you know, at the ocean, uh, because it was too uh, sunny and too bright, and I needed to be in a room that was dark and full of shadows, because that's the reality. That's the reality that we're in, that all this brightness and sunniness, you know, that people are clinging to, uh, it's not going to save us from having to deal with the dark and the shadows. Alice Walker is 77 now. Her most recent book of poetry was published in 2018, her most recent novel in 2004. And you can find easy Amazon links to Alice Walker's books at our website, heardeverything.com. 
and whileyoureatheardeverything.com. Be sure to listen to my 1993 interview with the great Maya Angelou. I have never been able to say exactly what I mean. It's like trying to describe green to a person who is colorblind or a melody to a person who has difficulty hearing. And my conversation from 1987 with Alex Haley. If you want to enslave a people, the first thing you do is remove their sense of worth. But you know, you, you can bet your boots Chicken George had a very clear sense of his worth. So did Kunta Kinte. So did Fiddler. And of course, we post new episodes here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find Now I've Heard Everything on all major podcast platforms, including Amazon Music, Audible, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Spotify, iHeart, and many others. And thank you so much for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, he turned a troubled childhood and a young life that looked like it could have been filled with disappointment and despair into a hugely successful motivational speaking career. My 1991 interview with Tony Robbins. In our society, we're asleep. We have forgotten what we're capable of. We've forgotten what we can really achieve as people. We've bought into a vision of our life that is so far below who we really are. It's a joke. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. Thompson.